Welcome back to the Hearts Unleashed podcast. We're turning dreamers into doers. If you're ready to open your heart and take inspired action on your dreams, you are in the perfect place with wonderful people. Here's your host, dreamer, educator, and adventurer, Abigail Gazda. All right. Welcome to the Hearts Unleashed podcast, where we are turning dreamers into doers. And I am excited and honored to introduce to you our newest, well, I'm kind of cutting to the chase here, our newest author for Hearts Unleashed House Publishing, but also a woman all to herself, Whitney Dermick. She is amazing. And I'm going to give you a very formal introduction before I try not to completely fangirl here. So I'm just pacing myself in this process. But inspired by mythology and wanderlust, Whitney spent her early life traveling in search of a place that felt like home. Her adventures continued to lead her from her true residence, which ultimately she found in a small beating space in, within her chest. She writes to make sense of a complex world, amen, sister, can't wait to talk about that, and to also function as a channel for Muse, who loves it when she lets her eyes roll back in her head and lets her fingers wildly dance across the keyboard. Uh, I forgot how much I love your introduction. I relate so much to it. And I, you know, we, I know I'm cutting in already, but we have so many listeners who are creatives, writers, painters, and, and let spirit move through them as a channel. So I'm just excited to jam out on that. Whitney also graduated with a degree in comparative literature from the University of Colorado, where she put on a masterclass in procrastination and binge drinking. Man, we are kindred spirits. (laughs) She currently works remotely as a strategic content manager for a technology startup accelerator, where she brings storytelling frameworks for entrepreneurs. She loves to systemize and will also someday apply that her skill of systemizing to her personal blog and newsletter published under halfwilddispatches.com. So we will be sure to link all of that for you guys. Whitney also loves dogs, dinner parties, and talking to strangers, as you will hear much about in her book, Half Wild. Her love of nature, lush greenery, and gentle competition compel her to the golf course and our hiking uh, trail whenever possible. She is also passionate about exploring ways to eat, live, love, and travel really well. She is happily settled for the moment in the mountains of Asheville, North Carolina, which is exactly where we met. I don't know if I would call it a fluke, but I would definitely call it the working of spirit, the timing and synchronicities of spirit, because um, I walked up to this. We pulled in in our camper in, with a beautiful into the beautiful mountains, lush greenery, and Whitney and Marco come out and greet us. <laughs> um, and then just walk into this super vibey home that she has created and got to meet her. And in talking, we connected and I found out she's an author because her lovely boyfriend was bragging on her so much because he loves her writing. <laughs> so I could I could probably keep going, but I think I'm going to involve you in the interview at this point. Welcome, Winnie. <laughs> Hi, Abigail. Listen, keep going. You're nailing it. You. Thank you. I um, I think I am such a fan, one, of just who you are as a human, but also as your writing. And I would really love to, I think people are going to just love you throughout the interview because of who you are, but I'd love to start with your writing and what, where did that start for you? What got you to sit down at the keyboard? It is, I remember somebody asked me that question of learning how to write. And it's kind of like asking me how I learned how to breathe. 
there's not really a moment that I remember starting to write. Um, the basis of my writing, I think, is really an insatiable curiosity. Mm -hmm. It's the fact that I walk through life and always have just asking too many questions, asking too many strangers what their favorite color is, and being just really curious about what's going on in the world around me and why. And I remember I turned that into um, my father and I would play a game called naming and rhyming to eat up time on long road trips as a kid, where we would literally just name things. He would say, all right, dog breeds. And we'd name dog breeds until inevitably we're saying big dog, fat yeah. dog, red dog. Like it would just devolve into pure silliness. Um, and we would, we would make up stories and sit around campfires and tell stories. And I remember probably I was eight or nine years old. And that's when I started our family newspaper, which again, I think I've always had a little bit of a a nosy streak, um, a little bit of voyeurism. And I would just wander around our neighborhood and watch the construction of the new houses and kind of peer into other people's lives, not in a particularly creepy way, but in a, in a fun, childish <laughs> way. And I would turn that into news articles that I created on a giant piece of construction paper with a, a typewriter that my mom had from the 70s. And I would I would use glue sticks and, and put together pictures and articles and recipes and hand-drawn pictures. I remember one of my first stories was how our dog Roxy had a run-in with the meter man. So it was kind of like this, this hard-hitting feature news um, about <laughs> what was going on in our small cul-de-sac. I love it. And what I really especially love about it is you didn't, explicitly say it this way, but there is such a genuine curiosity, like uh, in the investigator, let's call her, but um, curiosity and then fascination. Those are what really stick out to me. And, and I, I found that throughout the, your book. So tell us the title of your book to announce your book to the world. <laughs> My book is called Half Wild. Um, and we've got a little subtitle, subtitle on it. Half Wild, a prayer for a generation of roaming malcontents. Yes. <laughs> Tell us, because I, I remember kind of deciding about the subtitle. Tell us what that means. Tell us what half wild means to you, because I know that that has a, it's very significant. And tell us about the subtitle. Yeah. Half wild is a name that I've been writing under for some years now. And I don't know where it came from, but I remember you know, being in my early mid twenties and being, I worked in a, a tech startup that was about doing latent semantic analysis of social media. So I was spending a lot of time in social media, which actually totally appealed to that part of me. That's really curious and nosy and investigative. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I went into college to get a journalism degree in, you know, 2005 and then realized is journalism a thing anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I, I turned that into comparative literature and then ended up in the tech space and social media is a great way to be involved in modern day journalism. Mm. Um, but I remember specifically on Pinterest, there was always this branding about like, you know, living wild and free. And I, that appealed to me and didn't, mm. it was like, I love this idea of being wild, but also I like to pay my bills. <laughs> I love the idea of being free, but I also love a great night's sleep. And yep. so I was thinking about my persona. And at the time I was, um, 
you know, drinking a lot, being a little bit more adventurous in that way, but also really committed to my career and my personal growth. And it just felt like I was wild sometimes, wasn't wild other times. I was half wild. And so that that's kind of where that came from. And then when we knew we needed a subtitle, I knew that I wanted... I wanted my subtitle to give people an idea of what they were going to get within the book. And I wanted it to be, we talked about this. I wanted it to be a little bit pretentious. <laughs> and so I just want to, yes. I want to be really upfront about this. It's pretentious on purpose. Mm-hmm. And that's because when I was originally, my half wild blog was, it's called half Originally it was called pretentious dispatches. Cause I had this, <laughs> I was really self-aware of how I write and how I speak. You know, Mm -hmm. I I grew up reading a lot. I had the kind of parents that never talked to me like a child. Mm -hmm. They always talked to me like an adult. And so, you know, at the age of 10 or 11, I'm using these, you know, 12th grade vocabulary words Mm -hmm. and finding it more difficult to relate to my own age group as much as I'm relating to like my English teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I have this love of language and love of words. And that comes through in my book, something that I will not apologize for. am not interested in, you know, dumbing it down in any way, because I believe the the spirit of what I'm taught, even if you, you know, even if you have to look a word up or don't even feel the need to look it up, you're still going to get the sense Mm -hmm. of what that word is communicating to you because, in so many ways, writing is like telepathy. You mm. consume the sentences that a writer writes mm. in more ways than we know. It's a little bit like you're taking my sentence and integrating it into your body. And I believe you're going to you're gonna learn by reading things, even if you don't know. And this is going off on a really pretentious tangent, but... All good. <laughs> um, a prayer... F- getting tactically down to a prayer for a generation of roaming malcontents. Um, I loved the idea of appealing to this generation of people who feel Mm. a little bit homeless. Mm. You know, I'm a millennial. I think I'm kind of an elder millennial. Mm. And we grew up in a time where it's hard to buy a house. It's hard to settle down. The dreams of the past feel out of reach. And then at the same time, we've got these highlight reels from social media pouring into us, put it, being put in front of us saying, this is how you could be living. So we yeah. see like our friends and our distant relatives and these influencers living these incredible lives. And it just feels out of reach for a lot of us. And, and I found a lot of power in disconnecting myself from the expectations of previous generations, the pressure of social media and coming back home to what is mine. And I needed to travel my whole life to come home to just being at home in my body. Um, And so I I was a little bit of a roaming malcontent and malcontent is kind of like an unhappy rebel, someone who's saying, is this it? Is this Mm. what you've got? And that was always a feeling that I just had nagging within me. Is this it? Isn't there more? Yeah. Um, and so I was I was a roaming malcontent. And the more I talk about it, the more I hear people say me too. And so I think mm-hmm. there's a generation of us and this book is a prayer for us. So that's the, that's the word by word breakdown. 
I love it. I love it. Quite a prayer too. It's a brilliant book. I actually just joked to another author the other day. I said, my version of gobbling up is still a snail's pace. Like reading a book quickly is not very quickly at all. However, I did, I gobbled this book up. I enjoyed each chapter and what it presented and the journey that it took me on. Like you said, each reader is going to read the sentences through their perceptions, through their filters, through their world experience. And and it's just brilliant. And it's also so relatable. I couldn't even make it through your bio without saying like, me too, me too. And I love that. I remember thinking of, I can think of 10 people that will already enjoy this book. I can think of a hundred of our age group that will already relate. And the roaming, the, you know, I'm also a nomad. I know you that you share a lot of really amazing stories of your adventures in this book. And you also take us through an adventure, a journey of identity. Tell us a little bit about your personal and perhaps professional evolution. Sure. One of the most challenging questions that people ask me is where I'm from, which is supposed to be one of the easiest questions to answer. Like, you know, it's where you're from. And I, and I think this is common for a lot of people in, you know, the land of corporate America, um, don't really have that because every few years of my life, we moved. And, and so my mom was um, a high-ranking executive for a big corporate firm. So when she got a new assignment, when she was up-leveling in her career, we would pack up and move for her to take that assignment. So you know, I think the longest we stayed anywhere was like four years. And it wasn't to these exotic places. It's not like being a military brat. We weren't going to the Marshall Islands and Iceland and Antarctica. We were going Iowa and Wisconsin and Ohio and California. So every few years was a brand new start. It was a close of a chapter of wherever we previously were, and then the beginning of a new chapter. And that is, even though I had a loving family, even though I was generally well-adjusted and happy as a child, pretty traumatic. Mm -hmm. You know, just the intensity of that change of everything you knew in your small little world as a kid is changing. And everything that you took for granted is going to be different than it was. So, you know, the friends that you've made, the school that you go to, um, where you grocery shop, these things that are fundamental kept having to change. And I became immensely adaptable as a survival mechanism. I'm also a Libra, so we (laughs) can adapt. We can adapt and people please. So what happened was I became just immensely adaptable and, and morphed into each of these new situations. I remember, you know, Ohio, I lived in this really tony suburb of Cleveland that was really like preppy. And, you know, I, I had arrived from Southern Virginia where I was a tomboy with muddy knees. And then within a couple months of being in Ohio, I'm rocking like limited to and like a prim haircut and I'm doing what I need to do to fit in, mm-hmm. in this new scenario. And then like a couple months into living in California, I'm rocking skate shoes. And, mm-hmm. and that's of course a, a shallow approach to this, but it really was a Everywhere you go, you have to assess, be vigilant of what it's going to take to survive in these new waters and adapt. And then what happened was, you know, it came time to choose a college. That was kind of my first big opportunity to choose. Mm. And it was paralyzing. Mm. Um, So I ended up going to the University of Colorado because my mom had just gotten a job in, um, in Colorado. And so I'd get in-state tuition. I figured it was a party school, which I wanted. I liked black and gold. I liked that the, oh, actually 
this is, this is how I made my decisions. Like this is how you'll get a sense of how in, incapable of decision-making I was back then. The beanie baby, you remember beanie babies, <laughs> yes. the, the Buffalo beanie baby mm. had my birthday. So if you remember the beanie babies all had birthdays, yeah. you open the little tie tag on its ear. The Buffalo had my same birthday. I saw that. I was like, it's a sign. It's a sign from the universe. It must have been. <laughs> I gotta go to Boulder. So I'm like, in-state tuition, party school, Buffalo mysticism, let's yep. go. Um, and it was the same kind of thing. Like, I also had to choose a major and I couldn't. I went in thinking it was going to be journalism and then the journalism school is like, it's intensely competitive because they're used to, where there used to be 100 spots, now there's two. So I'm like, yeah. ah, I'm not really here to compete. Um, so I ended up falling into a major because it allowed me to just take whatever classes I thought were interesting and compile that into a major. And they called it comparative literature. And it was a yeah. lot of fun. But then I came to you know my mid-20s and I realized I was very well-trained in just going with the flow letting life happen to me. But I was now in a time of my life where I needed to make life happen. I was, I was being called to be empowered. Where do I want to live? Who do I want to be? Who do I want to date? And I was paralyzed by these decisions. So I had a little bit of a crisis and it was kind of right in time for like Saturn return to happen in my late twenties to be, do you want to be a person who hangs out in dive bars and watches football because you have learned somewhere along the line that that is a comfortable and safe place for you and you feel, you know, gently validated by it? Or do you actually want to like grab life by the scruff and go for it? Um, so I had to do a serious dismantling of all of my people pleasing and going with the flow tendencies and step into some sh like some big girl shoes of living my own life. I love that. And I, I like find myself on the edge of my seat. Like, how, how'd you do that? You know, I would, but I would love for our listeners. Cause I, I just, again, me too, me too, me too. Like I can imagine there's a lot of people related, whether they moved a lot or they just did that whole adapting to fit in. Like I know I did in plenty different phases of life, right? No matter how much or little I moved, and I have moved quite a bit, but it's that same thing. And the identity game gets a little, quite skewed. Now, I would love for you to offer our listeners maybe a tip or a, something that you'd like to share for them who are in, they're, they're identifying and they're like, oh, yeah, that's me. I'm there, right? And like, because I want to ask you, how did you make that shift? But I'd love for you to speak into the listeners' ears at this mm. moment. The first thing is give it time. Mm -hmm. The Like good changes mm. take so much time. Yeah. And that is really foreign to the world that we live in. Yeah. You know, yeah. I was, when I, when I first quit drinking, I was like, all right, I'm a week in. Am I like rich and skinny yet? Yeah. And yep. it, it didn't take a week. It took a year, but over a course of a year of setting my true North of this is who I want to be. I actually, I quit drinking when I was 29 because mm -hmm. I was thinking, who do I want to be when I'm 30? Do I want to be this girl who's like kind of sick and tired all the time yeah. at 30? How am I going to feel about that? And I realized that was, I kind of projected forward, realized that wasn't going to happen or I wasn't going to be happy about that. And set my sights on who I wanted to be. I wanted to wake up at 30, 
healthy, happy, alive, clear-headed, little extra money in the bank, maybe a few pounds lighter, mm-hmm. feeling good about the decisions that I've made and knowing who I wanted to be allowed me to recalibrate my day-to-day decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, so give it time. And for me, it really was about doing a lot of painful tuning into myself because the truth was there all along. I just was, I really didn't want to hear it. And I didn't believe that I had any of the answers. I was looking everywhere outside of myself. I was, you know, going to therapy, reading about astrology, reading about the Enneagram, doing my human design, trying to figure out after a year or a lifetime of people pleasing, who am I? Mm. Who actually am I? And I was trying to like ask the internet. I would literally go to Google, <laughs> who am I? What am I supposed to be doing? What's the best job for me? Where's the best city for me? And the answers were always, you know, we have this internal compass of our feelings and I've never learned how to feel. So I think the first thing that I would say is tune in to your feelings and let them guide you. Even Mm -hmm. like, you know, give it an hour a day of like letting your feelings guide you and let them surprise you. And then the second thing, give it time. Don't rush yourself. I love that. I love that. And I love that you spoke into that because we have an episode called Feelings Are Meant to Be Felt. And Mm -hmm. so if you're listening and this appeals to you, go listen to Feelings Are Meant to Be Felt. I don't know that episode number at this moment, but I also, and then the time and the patience, I wrote patience as you spoke that. And and we can sprinkle grace in there too. Um, But I love that you offered that because um, there's so much deconditioning that must occur. And then, like you said, tuning in, learning to listen to yourself, one, hear yourself, and then actually listen to what you heard. <laughs> um, I, when I was going through quitting drinking, which I'd love to ask you some questions about that too, but I was playing, I was very like mad scientist. Like I was also, I had, I was a smoker, so not cigarettes, but I smoked marijuana. And so like, I would okay, I gave up beer for this long and then I only drink wine and then I would only smoke. And then I, you know, like, so what works for me? What doesn't? And eventually I heard, if I listened, the more I gave up, the more, the louder my voice got and it was time to give all of it up. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I love just the way that you share about patience because we do live in that instant gratification world. Like you're talking about social media and all these pressures as if everything's supposed to be done yesterday. And that's just not the case. And so thank you for offering us the gift of time in that response. So what did, um, I love this question. We usually ask this of most of our guests is what did you have to give up in order to have arrived where you are now? I think I read it on a tea bag or maybe it was another one. Of those, <laughs> it was one of those Pinterest posts, like your new life will cost you your old one, you know? And it was, it's the same thing of, you know, what got you here won't get you there. I love that one. You know, it's, it's those things. So literally everything I thought I could quit drinking and my life would be the same just without the drinking. Yeah. And no, yeah. no, not even a little bit. Like, your friends fall away, even not your drinking buddies. You evolve. When you give up something that was a pillar of your life, everything shakes. Mm -hmm. I have chills. Keep going. (laughs) I was identifying as this kind of rough around the edges, cool girl wearing flannel at the bar, watching football on a Sunday morning. I had a big dog and like, I, I had this armor of cool girl, sarcasm, cynicism. And it's so funny to think about that now. I was just talking to Marco about this. Like 
I'm mostly soft, gooey center. And my actual identity is so crying at Cheerios commercials. (laughs) And I had just put so much armor over that because I was afraid. I didn't think that that would survive in this world. I knew that wouldn't survive in this world, that I was too sensitive for my own good. And so I, the pendulum swung in the entire opposite direction of, you know, I remember like casually dating in my twenties and never getting attached to anyone and thinking that was a superpower. And that, which, which is so, I mean, toxic, honestly, (laughs) toxic to think about now, but it was, it was the pendulum of feeling too sensitive had swung so far to being anti-sensitive. And then I spent my early 20s trying to compile the check boxes of proof that I was doing okay. You know, I had the job, I had the apartment, I had the dog, I had the cool car, like all of these things. And then I remember going to a therapist in Wisconsin and giving her all of this proof and all of these reasons. She's like, yeah, and how do you feel? I'm like, shitty. Why am I still so anxious? Why am I still feeling like I'm white knuckling through life? And the first maybe 10 sessions that I had with her was just an hour of crying. It was just an hour of clearing the backlog of emotions that I hadn't let myself feel for decades. And then on the other side of that, there's still, I love your mad scientist thing because there's still little tweaks, you know, did all of that. And I was still having panic attacks, doing all of that and still getting, you know, freaked out traveling, having bouts of, um, you know, hypochondria or being, you know, too sensitive about food and still having to learn how to navigate. It was almost like a second puberty coming out into the world as a completely different person. That is a great analogy, a second puberty. (laughs) I love that so much. And then that seemed to, based on what I know about you and having read your book, that sort of sparked you on a new adventure, a a more half wild exploration and really that soul searching journey, right? The awakening had happened and now it was really time to go about finding yourself. What, how did you go about that? And what did you find? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It was such a catalyst because, you know, I was waking up hungover and having this feeling of just, is this it? Is this what I'm doing with my one life? Mm -hmm. Um, And then when I quit, I felt, I realized how much of the stuff I was doing was boring. Mm. Like I used to watch a ton of TV and movies and then I would sit watching TV sober and be like, I'm bored. I'm bored with this. I need more. Um, But then in true you know, indecisive fashion, because I still hadn't figured out how to make a decision for myself. Mm. I had this great apartment in Denver, um, right in city park, like beautiful neighborhood, great neighbor, like great, great apartment, great part of the city, great city, and was just kind of unhappy there. And Denver was getting, it was on its meteoric rise of coolness, just getting Mm. way too cool for school. (laughs) And they were going to up my rent by like 300 bucks a month, And they were calling that doing me a favor because I was still at market. And I realized that I could either tune into what more life had to offer me, which Mm -hmm. felt like travel and adventure, or I could stay in my beautiful beige prison and just continue to live that life. And I chose, I called it choosing not to choose, Mm -hmm. which yeah, more indecision, but you know, (laughs) beautifully uh, rationalized indecision. And so I moved out of that apartment and I put all of my stuff in my parents' basement and 
just all of the places that had been calling to me that I'd wanted to go. Cause I'd been, I'd been living in Colorado, Denver, Boulder, everywhere in between feeling like everyone else seems really happy to be here. And I know that on paper, it's a great place to live. And yet I'm not happy here. I don't feel settled here. And so I wanted to go find a place where I did feel settled. And so I'd been for years looking up cities. I've been, re- I've been hearing about Nashville. I've been hearing about Portland. I've been hearing about Chicago. Like, All right, I'm going to go. Mm-hmm. And so I put my stuff in my parents' basement and I would just travel. Mm-hmm. And then when I ran out of money, I would hang out at my parents' house, let the mm-hmm. bank account refill until I had enough to do it again. And it was this really interesting journey of going to really incredible places. I went to Mexico City for a few days. I did um, Lisbon, Portugal and Barcelona. Um, I did. I went to Colombia. I went to Bali and a ton of places in the U.S., a a bunch of road trips. Just I I did it. I really felt like I I sunk my teeth into that nomad life. Mm -hmm. And I remember I remember doing Lisbon. And it was one of my, it was, it was, I think, November, 2019. Mm -hmm. Um, So we all know that was in the prehistoric, in the the prelude to uh, a life altering event. And I remember sitting in my incredible Airbnb in the Estrella neighborhood of Lisbon, which is an an incredible city and just feeling kind of lonely and just feeling kind of sad. I'm, feeling I'm doing it. I'm living that social media ideal. Yeah. And yet here I am not feeling fulfilled by it. And so I kind of asked myself the question, what am I out here looking for? And how will I know when I find it? And that guided me to return home with some soul searching of, you know, it may be that I am as much as I feel like I, like I'm running to I'm also running from, and it may be time to settle somewhere and let my life unfold. Mm, I I have chills this entire time because I just like, I acknowledge you for out loud with us. And even in your book, asking the questions out loud that everyone's asking themselves, right? All these existential, what am I looking for? There's more, what's, what more is there? Why don't I feel good or fulfilled? Or, you know, like all these really important questions that we sort of, you you can stay on the hamster wheel and stay plenty distracted, or you can actually ask yourself those questions and start to, to, to look right and inquire. And so, so you did, so you found a place to settle in Asheville right now, for now, for the time being. Um, tell us about that and tell us about, yeah, tell us about that. Yeah, it was one of, like, I, I told you about living in Colorado and Colorado checks all the boxes. Yeah. On paper, it is the perfect place for me. It's got mm-hmm. a great economy, a great population. People there are like smart and fit. It's a beautiful place to live. And yet the perfect place on paper didn't soothe my soul. Mm -hmm. But being there was a decision that I made with my head. Mm -hmm. It was a decision of like, this is the rational place for me to be. Mm -hmm. And so when the world kind of shut down and I was back at my parents' house in Wisconsin, I had stayed in touch with a woman that I met at a yoga retreat here in Asheville. Mm -hmm. And we were kind of talking about what we were going to do. And she said, so, you know, they were They were recently moved to Asheville from San Diego. They were renovating their basement of this house that they bought above town. Um, They were going to do Airbnb with it. Um, And that was uh, 
probably not going to work out if, mm-hmm. if the world was shutting down. Mm-hmm. And so she asked me, she's like, um, what are you going to quarantine with your parents in Wisconsin? Mm-hmm. Or do you want to maybe quarantine with a cool young creative couple in Asheville? And I had, I had come to Asheville two years in a row in the October, November timeframe for yoga retreats mm-hmm. and Asheville in the fall is mm-hmm. unreal. It is unbelievable. It's a fairy tale. There's there's smoke rising out of the mountains. It, the leaves are incredible. There's like this smell in the air of wood smoke and wet leaves that just, it hits me in all the right places. <laughs> um, but it doesn't have, it doesn't check the on paper boxes. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the economy is primarily tourism and service industry. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a small town. There's only a regional airport. It didn't have what my rational mind would think I uh, needed. Yeah. And for the f- possibly the first time in my life, it didn't matter. Yeah. You know, we were in a pandemic and I was just like, this is kind of, it feels like a now or never kind of thing. Mm. And so she's like, do you want to come just stay in our basement and you can stay there for a week or a year or whatever feels right to you, which was really great for my non-committal side. (laughs) She did not box me in. She left it very open. Um, And so I packed some stuff into a car Mm -hmm. and did the drive. And within maybe three weeks, I pulled all my stuff out of storage and just moved here mm-hmm. and ended up staying there for, um, maybe 18 months and creating this incredible creative vortex under lockdown, mm-hmm. um, and building a stronger, healthier, more supportive community in three months mm-hmm. here than I had anywhere else for any amount of time. It's beautiful. And I love what you said about giving up. I wrote giving up the rationale, like, you know, the, the on paper part of it, because what we think is good for us and then what spirit might show us is good for us or what we discover in, in exploring areas beyond our limitations or beyond our credentials or whatever. And so I just really love that. And, and in that time you've become a published author and that's been a beautiful journey. And what would you, I want to ask, what's your impression of the publishing process, but Mm -hmm. as told to our listeners, like for their, for them, for those who dream about becoming a published author as well. It's a great question. I mean, Abigail, I know you weren't fishing for this, but you have made Mm -hmm. this process make so much more sense because truthfully I knew I knew that I wanted to write and I knew that I knew how to write, but I remember, you know, sitting down at my, at my kitchen table when you were here being like, but then what? And I hadn't finished my book because I didn't know what would happen when it was done. And so I didn't really feel this momentum or motivation to finish it. And you were just like, uh, well, first finish the book, which I love that no BS approach. Like, yeah. well, first, first go ahead and finish it. Yep. Really great first step. And then we'll <laughs> go from there. And you have made it so clear and seamless by amassing the resources because it does take a village, right? You know, writing the book is half the battle. And yeah. then it's everything that needs to happen to turn it into a tangible thing. Mm. Um, and then on the, you know, there's that on the tactical side. And then on the emotional side has been probably the most surprising part of this for me, Mm. that you're getting close to one of the biggest moments of your life, one of the most exciting milestones, something, I mean, something that I always knew was going to happen for me. 
Mm-hmm. I, I always knew at some point I was going to publish something. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet so much fear and anxiety and vulnerability shows its head at this point. We're so close to the finish line. And, you know, while it was fun to write the book, fun to edit the book, fun to lay it out, all of a sudden it's just like, who do I think I am? Who do I think I am to publish a book and ask other people not only to read it, but to pay money to read it? There's such hubris in that. On the flip side of that, I have legitimately poured my heart and soul into this thing. And that's, I think, part of why we called it a prayer for a generation is because this is, I'm giving it as a gift and a prayer for anyone who needs to read it, that if you can read it and feel seen, or if you can read it and say me too, or if it can catalyze you to be like, yeah, yeah, I am kind of on a hamster wheel right now. I would love to get off and start being a little bit more empowered in my decision-making. Then we're co-creating a better world because I think I'm not to get grandiose here, but honestly, (laughs) (laughs) if we can just unleash our hearts a little bit, um, a world of more creative people who are on their aligned path, doing what they love is 100% a better place to live. Yes. A freaking man. I love it because I mean, first off you had so much power. Thank you for the acknowledgement. You're right. Not fishing, but also don't mind it. (laughs) But, um, I am that, I mean, I walked that journey of like, who do I think I am? Who do I think is even going to care or read this? Or am I crazy? Does this even make sense? So I know the emotional journey and let's say the emotional toll, like, right, there's the pouring your heart into the pages, but then there's also the logistics and showing up and being a stand for yourself and making sure it's a book that you love and want to share with the world and, and all of that. And then, and then to get feedback, right? Like, one from the production process of an editor or the layout and all of those different systems that get put into place. And this book comes out even more polished, right? Like at that point, it's already been questioned and challenged and you're like, no, I want this or no, I want that. And, and it is, it's a very emotional journey to put yourself through for anyone to put themselves through. So I, I really appreciate you sharing like that layer of the, of the journey and then to get it out there, which as people are listening to this episode coming out in real time, it is coming out next week in June, June 7th. Turn oh, baby. <laughs> and so, um, where can people, where can people find you? And, um, obviously we're going to have the book up on Amazon. We'll be sure to have all the links in the show notes so that you can click and grab and all the fun stuff, but also your website. Tell us where we can find you online. Uh, I am on Instagram, half wild Whitney. Find me there. I am also, I do a Substack newsletter, um, which I'm getting better about publishing often and, and offering value there as much as I possibly can. Um, and that is halfwild.substack.com. And then I've got a website. Usually my news, my newsletter will link back to the website. So those two things are, are linked and it's halfwilddispatches.com. Perfect. And I, I need to call you out. Cause like, yes, you provide value on your sub stack. I love surfing around there. In fact, I want, I was waiting for a lot of our episodes and all the promotional stuff to kick in because I can't wait to just like blast my email list with your newsletter stuff. Like you just, I love your, the realness, the rawness, the vulnerability, the adventure. Um, I feel like anyone who has any ounce of nomadic 
and, or like, let's say, I would even say entrepreneurial spirit, like would just thrive on what you write and share. I also just, there's this special place in my heart for like us as eighties and nineties gals, like that, just the millennial age group that I think if anyone special is listening to this, that you better go check it out and tune in. So, <laughs> um, I also, one last thing I wanted to wrap up and say is I love that you brought in like the pretentious piece of it. I, I, it is something to me that is so endearing because you call yourself out in the book about it. You're saying like, I used this as a front to protect myself the same way with the skater shoes and the new prim haircut and the, and the dirt on the knees, like wherever you were is where you fit in. And you learned how to be sarcastic and cynical and, and pretentious to, to keep, but now you've, you've just evolved into such a beautiful, like I've only known you for what, uh, less than a year, like six months or so. And to know you is to love you. Like you are so genuine, so connected. And I am sure that people listening in are really connecting. So I am excited because one, they're connecting with, go get connected online on Instagram, but get this book. You're going to be shaking, bobbing your head through the whole reading. Um, you're going to love it. So half wild, a prayer for a generation of malcontents. You want to grab that and yeah. And then review it. That's always, we want to really remember to review it. <laughs> so Whitney, thank you for being who you are. Thank you for unleashing your half wild heart. Abigail, thanks so much for having me. Yes, it's beautiful. And hearts, I hope that this helped you tap into the little bit of the half wild version of you looking at where you're wild and where you're ready to take an adventure. So thank you for tuning into the Hearts Unleashed podcast, where we are turning dreamers into doers. We love you. Thanks for tuning in to the Hearts Unleashed podcast. We hope you found all the inspiration that you needed today and that you use it to take the next inspired action on your dreams. If you love the show, share it with a friend. We love spreading the love. For more information, to listen to more episodes, or to shop Hearts Unleashed, visit us at heartsunleashed.com. See you next time, hearts.